Welcome back, everybody, to another special episode of the Expert Trader Podcast Series. We have a very special guest on the show today, millionaire trader and entrepreneur, founder of Stock Market Lab and TradeZella, Umar Ashraf. Welcome to the podcast. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you for stopping by. I know you're a busy guy, so thanks for making time for this. Thank you for having me. How's, how's the weather in Miami looking? I'm actually not in Miami yet. I still live in Virginia. I'm moving in about two weeks. Oh, no way. I always thought you were in Miami. I think because of the event you threw, I thought it makes yep. sense. Makes sense. No, we did the summit there because obviously no one's going to come to Virginia for an event. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Yep. So a uh, few folks that don't know who you are, you want to give a quick backstory on, on yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name is Umar. I have been trading stocks and options uh, from 2013. So about to make it 10 years. Just realized that a few minutes before. Uh, started when I was 18, currently 27. Uh, started off trading stocks, it took me about two years, two and a half years to kind of get consistent, get good at it. Uh, from there, scaled my trading, uh, you know, added more money, uh, scaled more setups, focused on more setups, more strategies, and just try to scale that up as much as possible. Opened up the idea of trading options about four years ago. So took my stock trading, elevated into options. And uh, currently I also run TradeZello. We're a journaling platform. Uh, aiming to become more than a journaling platform, basically one hub to help traders improve, uh, you know, their psychology, their edge, fine tune it, identify it, things like that. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. That's awesome. Um, for those of you guys who are Forex traders, TradeZilla is basically like my effects book, but it's going to be like an upgraded version. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. <laughs> more or less. So you had a pretty, uh, a pretty, I want to say, you have a crazy journey when it comes to your experience in the market. So 2018 or sorry, 2013, you got into the markets when you were 18 years old. Yeah. You threw in, what was it? 20 grand into a few yeah. names and managed to hit big, did the typical thing, blew it all down and then restarted and started from scratch. Can we kind of start from there when you restarted and you refunded an account after having gone through that up and down, can yeah. you walk us through how you rebuilt and what that whole process taught you? Sure. So I, and also keep in mind, 2013 trading wasn't as big as it is now. Right. So I wanting to be a trader or being attracted to trading wasn't as hot as now. So right now, if someone fails, it's very easy to keep going because you'll see certain people making money and doing well back then it wasn't that big. So I essentially got started. I went on Forbes, looked at who made the most amount of money the year prior. And it was a hedge fund manager. I was like, Oh, what do hedge fund managers do? They're involved in stocks. How can I get involved in stocks? Wow. I can trade. Okay. I opened an account. I had 20 grand saved up, jumped into the market. My first trade was JCPenney, right? I, I remember this uh, very vividly. I put in the full amount into JCPenney. The stock went down 50%. My 20K turned to 10K, right? Then I waited another month at 10K, went to 24K. So now I made four or 3K on, uh, on that trade. Essentially, it was a terrible trade because my drawdown was 50%. But I was like, wow, I just made four grand. And I'm in high school at the time. I have an early birthday. So I was like, wow, I made four grand. I'm so good at what I, what I do. Uh, I can keep doing this. So I kept taking that money, 24K, next trade, next trade, next trade. Account grew to 35, maybe 40 grand up or down. And you know, you go, go on a high horse and you think you know what you're doing. And then next thing, you, next thing that happens, you go into one trade, have a big drawdown. And then you tell yourself, well, it's okay. Everyone loses money in trading. Another trade, same thing. Another trade, same thing. You go into summer of that year. Uh, my account's down at about 2000. So I touch a high of almost 40 grand to now being or having 2000. 
So I go, oh man, trading is not it. This is hard. It's way harder than I thought. And essentially that's when, you know, all your, the people around you step in and say, see, trading is a scam or trading isn't great. It's not for everyone. Only billionaires are able to make it or whatever. You know, everyone has something to say. For me, I was just kind of like, hey, there's people that are successful in this. And obviously we hear the 90%, 95% rule of how many people are successful in trading and not. And I was like, I want to be that few percent that can make it. I need to figure out how, right? And the thing with me is I'm, I'm, you know, when you're young, you're very hard-headed. When you can't do something, you want to do it more, Yeah. right? Which is good and could be bad depending on what you're doing. So at that time, it benefited me because I was like, okay, I need to figure it out. So now I also told myself at the point where I was like, I wasn't actually giving it my all. And what I mean by giving it my all, I, I mean me actually spending the time to kind of sharpen my axe, you know, focusing on what I need to work on, focusing on how can I improve, focusing on what is there for me to improve on. So I was like, you know what? I need to give it a fair shot. So a couple of months, went back to working, also started college, went to college for three semesters. So working, trying to save up money, selling iPhone, side hustles, all those things, built up a little bit more money. And I was like, let me start again, right? So I started again and uh, same thing, two months in, lost all my money. I think it was second time was around like 15, 15 grand, saved up, lost it and went back to it. And I was like, why am I losing money? And I was like, it's, it essentially takes me three or four trades where I lose a lot of money. So I would have like on a 15K account, imagine losing 4K on each trade. Mm -hmm. But then when you make money, you're making a hundred bucks. I was like, this is not sufficient. So how do I adjust that? Obviously, I need to make more on a trade than I lose. Why am I losing more? Like, you know, these basic simple things. And like I said, trading right. back then wasn't as big as it is now with the education on Instagram, Twitter, and all these basic concepts that we hear now weren't basic then, right? So then I start going into more digging, more understanding. Uh, and then from there, I start educating myself, right? And all the education is online. You can find education online. The only problem with education online is all scattered. Right. So you might find one strategy, but no one goes in depth that this strategy works with this way of trading. That strategy works with that way of trading. So when you're starting out, you're applying every indicator, every strategy. So from there, uh, long story short, two years go by, restart again. I take a step back. Uh, I focus a lot on, you know, the key things that I'm trying to do. And the key thing that I kind of focused on was how do I become a better trader? Not how do I make X amount? Because my goal was to make a hundred grand. Now, instead of, hey, I'm trying to make a hundred grand, it was, how do I become good at trading? Now, what do I emphasize as good at trading? How do I make more on a trade and lose less? How do I keep my position size minimal? How do I keep my losses minimal? How do I you know, manage my losing positions? Wow, is when I'm wrong in a trade, my ego kicks in and it tells me that I'm not going to sell and I size in. How do I prevent that? So I spent the next year, year and a half, which equated to two and a half years on focusing on that. And one thing I did, I probably still have it in, um, in my house. I had a trading journal. Like I used to write everything down, my game plan, what I did, how I feel. And that for me was like the biggest thing just to learn about myself. I totally agree. I feel like that's, that was my big shift when you say taking it seriously. And that was a really good, that was a really great rundown of the, all the different phases that like most traders go through kind of summed up, but uh, I kind of went through the same thing where I realized putting in the work really means being honest with yourself, doing the stuff that you don't want to do, which is tracking and looking at before and afters and sort of analyzing the performance. So first off, you're a millionaire stock trader. Is this, is that a fact? Uh, listen, I, 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 this is one thing I say. If everyone is a million millionaire stock trader in Instagram world now, 
And I am not going to say I am or I'm not. I'm just going to say you can go on my Instagram or my Twitter. I post live logins to my account. So I post a live login to my TD Ameritrade, which is a verified broker. It's not like a fake broker or whatever, uh, showing a $5.5 million profit year to date, right? So I tell people to base, base it off that. So basically that's a yes. Yeah, but this industry makes it very hard to immediately be like, yeah. To take on that, no. yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. slap, I'm not gonna slap the clickbait caption on you. So you're a very successful trader and you've been able to learn a lot from that experience and sort of grow to where you are today. Can you talk to us about growing capital? This is something that I'm very interested in. How do you see growing small capital and how do you see the timeline of how people should be looking at growing capital? So I think everyone, everyone needs to understand that there's going to be a different timeline for every individual to grow capital, right? So the biggest thing with trading is I think trading is a career where you discover a lot about yourself. I think up until you get to the optimal point, you can't or you won't be able to manage a large amount of capital. A lot of people say, oh, well, if I had $50,000 or $100,000, I would be able to trade better. And I tell them, no, it's the opposite. When you trade with more money, it's actually a lot harder because of the emotional weigh downs that you have with the size, you know, losing $200 on a trade is a lot, is a lot different than losing 2000 or 20,000. So it essentially starts with where you are right now with the current capital. How are you able to manage that capital, right? In terms of what is your risk to reward ratio? What is your planned risk to reward ratio? What is your actual risk to reward ratio? What is your average winning trade? What is your average uh, losing trade, right? What is your best setup? Define your best setup. What market conditions do you trade best under? How do you read market conditions? Now, if these are some basic question, questions that you can't answer, uh, I don't think you're in a position to add size, right? And these are questions that you need to be answer, you need to be able to answer and repeatedly do over and over again, right? Like, hey, like one setup I have um, is an opening drive play, right? I have a criteria for that setup. Another setup I have is a morning bounce play. I have a criteria. That criteria now becomes repeatable. Right. My reaction to that setup also becomes repeatable. What I mean by my action is now if I'm in the trade and I'm uh, and I'm up 20% or I'm up 10% on the trade or I'm up 3R, how do I react? How do I now manage that position? Do I get greedy and say, well, I want to juice out more out of this trade? Or am I like, no, let me start scaling out. Let me start adjusting. Am I able to recognize my patterns in real time? So all those things play a role. And I think give or take could take six months, could take a year and a half. For me, it took me two to two and a half years. But I've also seen people do it in six months. And, and it also took me two and, a, two and a half years with counting the time I didn't take it serious. Now, if I count the time where I started journaling, I started paying attention to my trades and I started going in the process, different probably timeline. about a year. Yeah, it's, it's a completely different timeline. That's a timeline when you actually you know, are starting day one as trading with real capital. Demo trading and all that, I don't care how much you demo trade, how long, it does not count as day one. Right. When you trade with real capital, that's when like your day one of trading starts. So have you seen any patterns for what differentiates how long it takes someone to succeed? Like what makes it so that somebody picks this, picks up trading faster than somebody else? Uh, from what I've seen, and I've, I've seen people pick it up in six months. I, I, I know a few people that have, and I think those people are the ones that are not a chasing to make money. They're focused on the process very heavily. Like, how can I improve the process on a week-to-week -week basis? Mm -hmm. uh, they're showing up every single day. Like, there's one person I keep referring to. His name is Jay. Uh, for seven months, he was red in trading. But in those seven months, if I was to ask him, hey, on January 5th, what did you do? He would tell me, on January 5th, this was, this was my pre-market game plan. This is what I traded. And this was my summary for the day. He had it all logged. Seven months that happened. 
Uh, eight months, he starts doing well. Nine or 10 months later, I believe he starts being profitable. This year, uh, I think in July it was, the first week of July or two weeks in July, I think he made 50000 in just one week. He made more money in that one week than he did in, in, in his corporate job a year and a half ago. But the thing with him was he stuck through it. He didn't focus on making money. He created a process. He focused, narrowed down on the process. He narrowed down on himself to know where he needs to improve, right? In terms of how he responds to the way he trades and what he trades. And he took that day by day. And in the long term, that all compounded. Basically, even if you're losing, as long as you're doing the right things and you're being meticulous about tracking yourself and tracking your progress, you're still headed in that right direction. Yes and no. It depends how much are you losing. Now, if you have a two thousand dollars account and on a trade you're losing five hundred bucks, right? It's not sustainable. Uh, granted, granted, they have good risk management. Yeah, yeah. If you have good risk management, and and even if you're losing a little bit of money on a daily basis, you are on the right track as long as you are understanding why you're losing money and what you're trading has a reason behind it. Even if it's not the right reason, the right reason starts to build as you're more kind of conscious and aware of what you're doing. So we jumped the gun. We went straight to trading. If we could kind of yeah, like- Yeah, 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 yeah no forward, worries, I, no I worries. I just want to get your opinion on, on two things. One is yeah. on the economy today and two is on markets today. So one, what do you think about the economy today? So it's very tricky, right? So there's two sides of it. One side is, yeah, we're in a recession, yada, yada, yada. But the problem with the recession is what, what's in a recession, right? Now, the stock market is not always a direct reflection of the economy. Uh, we're in an interesting state because we had very low interest rates. It's not low, the lowest of all time at, uh, going from that, going from crazy amounts of money printing to then seeing a slow increase in, in, in uh, not a slow, a very fast increase in inflation with also interest rates increasing, causing this recent crash we had. And now the market is seeing inflation slowly cool down. So markets responding to that. My idea right now of the market, and once again, one, one thing I want to focus on is just because this is my idea today does not mean it can't change in a week from now. There's more data points and more information that may come in a week or two weeks or two months that will and can impossibly change my, my outlook. My outlook is I still don't think we have bottomed in the market. I think valuations in the overall market and the world economy are still very high. Uh, I do think the market going into the stock market and obviously that will reflect the crypto market is going to see another leg down in the upcoming year or maybe the next 16, 18 months. That's what I think. Now, at this current moment, I also don't have any open positions. What I mean by that is I always say, if you don't have a position, your opinion doesn't really hold weight. Right. Now, if I have a million dollar short position on the market, now my thesis like I believe my thesis right now, it's harder to gauge for, for many reasons. Uh, there are some positions I want to take and have a real opinion and move on that. But at this moment, don't have positions, but I, I, I think we have more room to go on the downside. Can you expand on that whole concept of skin in the game where when you actually have skin in the game, your opinion is worth a bit more because you, you have to stand behind the, you, like whatever you're, you're claiming. See, yeah. We see it on social media a lot, right? People would be like, I called it. And I'm like, you don't get brownie points for calling stuff, right? I don't care about calling stuff. I care about making money on it. I'd rather sit here and say, I called nothing, but I made a ton of money than to be like, I called every move that's happened in the past two years, but I made no money, right? The thing is when you have skin in the game and you have capital in the game, your opinion, A, from an opinion point, holds weight because you believe your thesis. 
right? Because now if I say, hey, I think the market's going to go down and I have no position, do I really believe it? You know, you know, you know what I mean? Now, if I have an opinion from a psychological aspect, it also impacts my opinion because if I am shorting the market and I have a position, mentally, it's very easy for me to just look at the market from a short point of view. Like, oh, everything's going to go down. Why is it going to go down? I look for the whys and to justify my opinion. Vice versa, if I start buying or playing the upside, I will look for old opinions or everything that justifies the upside. So when you have skin in the game, that gets adjusted too. Your outlook gets adjusted because now there's real capital at risk and that starts also affecting your psychology. Okay, that's perfect. I really appreciate that breakdown. Yeah, no problem. So we went through the economy. You said there's a disconnect between the market and the economy. Yeah. What do you feel like the markets are doing today? So I know that you, tr you mostly trade US equities, right? Yes. Okay, so then what do you see the US equities doing today, especially the names that you're looking at? Uh, so because I'm day trading them, I, from a long-term point of view, I, I don't care. But then when I go into my long-term portfolio and I want to build long-term positions or swing positions, that's where you know it starts mattering to me. Now, when we go off evaluation point of view, uh, the PE for the S&P 500 is at a very high point. Uh, I do think the market is factoring some things in. But as the market starts factoring some things in and time goes on, that factor, right? Like the way it factors things in start adjusting, right? So it's like last year uh, before November, everyone was like, oh, well, this is factored in, that's factored in, inflation's factored in, the war's factored in, right? With Ukraine and Russia. And as time goes on, you start seeing it's all those things are important, but the main thing it comes down to is inflow and outflow of money. So if there's a massive outflow of money for whatever reason, no matter what you factor in and what you don't factor in, the markets will go down. So I think there's still a big portion of money in the markets that will outflow going into possibly the bond market and get diversified. But if you spread that across every market, even if you go in the car market, right? Like SF90s were going for a million and a million and one a couple of months ago. SF90s now are going for eight, 900K. Watches that were going for 400K are like at 320, 350. Now, like a lot of things that are inflated are coming down. So even when you look at the overall economy or the market, they kind of correlate in terms of the money supply out there. So even going back into that, I think that correlation is there and that correlation will start reflecting price maybe at the end of the year. Maybe we start seeing the downtrend from today, which is August 22nd. You know, it's, it, it's just, it's sometimes hard to play it on a shorter time frame, but if you play a year or two years out, it becomes a lot easier. So, do, so your, are your outlooks usually one to two year dated or do you go as far out as three to five years? So I typically, I typically don't trade anything three or four years out. So, you know, it, it's cool to estimate stuff and have these guesses for me, but I, because I don't really trade them, it doesn't benefit me. My estimates are primarily on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes uh, on a weekly or monthly basis, right? So you don't do any I, investing, like long-term investing? I have long-term investing positions, but those names I'm holding for five, 10 years. Like I'm not trying to time the time the bottom like amazon recently amazon went to about 100 bucks i picked some shares up you know what i mean uh same thing with a few other names i picked some shares up not saying oh my god we bottomed right but i'm comfortable in paying that price point but now if amazon keeps going lower and lower same thing with ethereum when ethereum was around 12 1300 bucks people were like oh it's gonna go to 700 600 uh, and i was like i hope it does but that doesn't mean i'm not going to pick some up at these levels Right. I'm comfortable at buying Ethereum at 11, 1200 and holding for five years. Same thing with Amazon and a few other names. But now if it does go lower, my time horizon on that investment is five years or 10 years. I'd say I'm okay. For sure. But now in terms of taking like a swing position for a year out, that's something really don't do often. Yeah, no, I hear that. I didn't mean at, like in terms of trading, but just in terms of investing. I mentioned this on Alex's podcast, which is the difference between investors and speculators. 
where like an investor, if you've actually done due diligence on that investment and you have that long-term thesis, then as it dips down, you can accumulate more. Yeah. The speculator who panics when their investment drops because they haven't done the due, the due diligence. So, I mean, if you kind of have like a longer term perspective, what do you feel like that? What do you feel like it looks like in five or 10 years? Like, why are you comfortable holding those names, for example? I mean, realistically, if you buy good companies that have a good team behind them, let's say it's depending on how far that company is like Amazon, Apple. And when you, when you go into these names, I think they've established a very, very strong brand. So holding them for 10, 15 years is not really an issue. But now when you go into smaller companies, let's say you go into Square, still a great company, but they still have a lot of potential. Now it comes into, okay, how much do I want to go into their 10-year thesis? Meta, Facebook, same thing. Them diverting their whole business model you know, into VR and, and future technologies, how much do I believe into that? Going to Babo, right? Same thing. Now the amount that is invested into these companies are far lower than the amount I would maybe put in Amazon maybe Apple at valuation numbers, like at comfortable numbers. Because Amazon, if I pick it up at a hundred bucks in 10 years, maybe not 15 years, my money will double, if not triple. Right. So it's basically but now, like, yeah. uh, like how much runway do they have? Is that kind of accurate? I mean, in, in a way, runway and also how, how strong they are. Obviously, the more stronger they are, the less money you'll make on your capital. But you also don't want all your capital tied up in terrible names, right? Like, with this recent tech crash, I know so many people that were in like, I don't want to say terrible names, but heavily inflated names. And when the tech crash happened, there's people that lost 70, 80% of their savings without being adjusted. Like one thing that really, really saved me is I picked up a ton of Exxon, Exxon Mobile at around 30-ish. So I picked that up at 30-ish, Exxon went to 90. So just that with my dividend and so, so on has, has paid handsomely. And at that point, I was also like, maybe I should put this money into this name. I can double or triple it in like two months. But I was like, no, look at the worst case situation. Look at it from a risk perspective. If things do go bad, you picking up Exxon or ExxonMobil at 30 bucks or 35 bucks is a steal. Maybe not in a year, but maybe in two years, I'm targeting 60 bucks plus you're getting a seven, eight, 10% dividend or whatever it was at that time. Same thing with some uh, uh, REITs, right? Real estate investing, uh, like store capital, uh, there's a, a ticker. O. uh, there's a few of them that I put my money in where I'm not trying to make a hundred or 200%, but I'm just trying to grow my money and park it. But now the position I'm in now with some names, let's say going down 50, 60%, I can sell some of my Exxon, which is what I'm planning to do. Rot rotate that money into these names that have, you know, made a massive hit down and now accumulate wealth the proper way. There we go. So it's basically like the speculative names will give you a higher return but the more trusted blue chip, they're going to be more for longer term, but you'll get a smaller return from those. Yeah. But see with, uh, with Exxon Mobil, I bought it at thirties. They, they went to like nineties. So in, in about a year and a half, you still more than tripled, right? Like you almost, yeah, you tripled your money on a very strong company. Granted, we don't always get a war in Ukraine. So that doesn't come. Yeah. Yeah. That. So, so, the, you know, in a way from a financial point of view, that worked out uh, same thing with other names. But now it's like, how do I rotate that money out? Just because it went up now, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, it's going to go from 90 to 300 bucks. So this is really crazy. I saw an interview of you from 2018 where you were talking about the market crashing in the next year and a half. And we were in the same camp because in 2018, 2019, I was writing articles basically talking about how the amount of money that we pumped into the system and the, the amount of inflation that we had meant that we had to sort of have a drop off. A year and a half later, we had the pandemic. 
Yeah. And so your fundamental thesis ended up playing out. Were you sort of looking at the long game? Were you taking advantage of opportunity during that whole process or what ended up happening there? Cause you were spot on with how you described that. I don't know if you. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. No, I remember that people brought that up, but, but I, I'll be super transparent. The pandemic kind of accelerated that. I had no idea it was like, that's how things were going to unfold to be honest. Uh, so the pandemic did cause that initial crash, but the pandemic also did cause that massive rally we got for a year and a half to two years. Right. So that was kind of a black swan event. And I don't want to sit here and say, I predicted that particular event. The only thing that I kind <laughs> right. of want, like that, that I assumed was we have too much money printed even at that time. And now it's even more inflation is a lot higher than people are, you know, predicting even at that time. And uh, the market eventually has to adjust and interest rates eventually have to go up. And when they do, the market will see a rotation. And that's kind of what we're seeing now because the market is forced to do that. Right. Sure. Uh, but in terms of predicting that, I, like, I, I wish, I wish I predicted that perfectly. But uh, in terms of opportunity, the one thing I got, I did very well with was Bitcoin. Mm. I messed up. Sure. I, I made terrible mistakes in 2020. I will tell you that much. I made terrible mistakes is because initially when the pandemic happened, I shorted the market. I think it was in February. I shorted the market. I had about a half a million dollar position in the market. Uh, I sold a lot of my long, long-term names. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you about a few of them in a bit, but wow. I sold my long-term names. I shorted the market. My position in the market, which was 500K, went to about eight nine $900,000. That whole position went to zero because I traded options. Because I shorted the market going into March. March, we got a heavy reversal. I kept averaging in. My total position size of my money invested was 500000 My unrealized profit, if I sold it at one point, was close to 900000 And when the market recovered, I basically lost all that money. So if the Fed and, hadn't have stepped in, technically your thesis would have, technically their thesis would have played out. Yeah, but also when the Fed stepped in, I got too invested into my thesis because I have money invested. I'm like, well, market's got to go lower without taking a step back and saying, put your money to the side, put your positions aside. The feds are not going to let this go lower. They're lowering interest rates to 0%. They're printing as much as money as they need to, to protect the economy or protect the market. A lot of money is inflowing into the stock market from the bond market. There's relatively no way we're going to go lower. But at that time, because I had a position, I was like, no, we're going to go lower. So I, I lost 500, K plus, plus my 400K unrealized, if you want to count that or not. Mm -hmm. And I took a hit on that. And I took another hit because I had over a million dollars in Tesla. Wow. And this is, if you do pre-split, this is probably, if you go to, if you go to, if you go to March of 2020, that's where I sold Tesla. And like, I don't even know what the price was. I'm, I, like, I tried not to look at it, but that investment would have been like 10 to 12 million today. Yeah. If I just held that. And my plan with Tesla, and, and this was the crazy part, right? I was not planning to sell Tesla. I wanted to hold it for a very long term play, right? I sold it because I was like, we're going through this crazy time. Let me sell it and rebuy it for lower. I was like, oh, I'll get a 50% discount. Let me sell it. We were all trying to time the market. Let me be completely honest. It was very hard not to make mistakes in that time. I don't think there was oh, anybody yeah. who trades... Because if you trade rationally, you're looking all the, at all these different chips playing out and you're like, all right, this has a lot of potential to go lower. And we all got invested in the downside. Um, but yeah, when they print 17 trillion into the economy, 
you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see a rebound and that was the playbook that was the playbook that we all sort of uh, confirmed in 2020 it yeah was and that, that was the backstop you know yeah no that, that that was a big blow to me um because i was kind of like my biggest loss and it was it wasn't even the loss aspect it was because i so a lot of times i take positions i would talk about the position while i'm in it i wouldn't just randomly pop out and say hey i made x amount here was my position no i would say hey it's the position i'm taking how much and and this is the outlook right and when i took it a lot of people followed me because they saw my conviction it was like wow he he must be right he has x amount in he's going in super heavy so it hurt from that point where i was like damn like i had people lose money and then right. you know obviously you, on social media you hear everything oh you suck you don't know what you're doing you're not blah 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 blah. and it gets you at, at some points right at that point it got to me now I, I really don't care but what i did well with was bitcoin so that summer i started accumulating a lot of bitcoin right and bitcoin at that time it was around 10 to 12k and uh even at that time i had an sv had a mclaren now like i i'm not really crazy about cars that much but i had uh cars and some other stuff and every majority of the money I had, the cash I was sitting on, I was just dumping it in that. So my SV, I, I got it in that December. I sold it just because the car started giving me problems, single clutch. And I was like, you know what? I'm going from Cali to New York to Miami. The car is parked in Cali for three weeks, not touched. I forget to charge it. It dies, blah, 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 blah. So I sold it. I got 400 and I think 60K from it or something. So I took all that money. Or no? Uh, I didn't lose money on it. I didn't profit. Okay. I didn't lose money. Uh, I kind of evened out. If I waited a little bit more, I could have sold it for more, but I put all of that money right when I got the check. I even put that in Bitcoin and Bitcoin at that time, I think was 11 or 12 K. So now when you start seeing the accumulation at that price point, it, it just like, that was one thing that worked out very well for me. Not just the car thing, but all the ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And then the only thing is I wish I sold more at like 50 K I sold maybe like 15, 20% of it, but I'm comfortable holding, holding it for like another five, 10 years. Like that's money I put in. I, I don't look at it. I don't touch it. I'm like, Hey, like this is something I'll talk about in 10 years. If not, I'm, I'm good. So this is a question I ask a lot of, a lot of people who invest in Bitcoin. So we're obviously all in drawdown at some point when it recovers and you see profits again, are you hoping to take any off the table because of the extended period of drawdown, or you're going to treat this like any other trade or investment and see it through? No, I think uh, after this drawdown, the next leg up, right. Sh should be higher. And I say the word should, because nothing's hundred percent, right. Uh, Bitcoin realistically could, could go to zero. And I understand that. And I'm okay with that. If like the money go, like I would obviously not want that, but if that's what happened, like right, right. I, I'm understanding of it. Right. Uh, but no, I, I, I believe in the next leg up, I would target at least hundred K plus my profit target on where I would pro probably start taking half of it off would be above 150 If we got there, right. Okay. That would be, it's more me taking 20% off recoup. Some of the money I put in also being up six, seven X on that puts me in a comfortable situation to let the remaining ride out. And the remaining that I'm in is like, either I'm going to hit big with it or I'm not going to play it as a smart investment. There's investments that I'm in where I'm like, okay, if I, you know, average 15% a year, I'm good. That's money sitting and growing and compounding. Then there's money where it's like, okay, this, I want to 10 X or 15 X this with a large amount of capital. And if I lose this large amount of capital, it, not that it's okay, but it's like, you can live with it. Right. Let's transition that to trading. So do you do the same thing in your trading when you put on a position or do you take partial profits and let the rest ride? 
or do you uh, do you trade differently? Uh, yes, sometimes I do. It depends on my position size. Uh, there's times where because I trade options, it, you know, when you're in like say 50, 60 contracts, sometimes it gets very, very like the, your PNL starts fluctuating very heavily. So if the position is going in my, in my favor, there's times I would take 20 to 50% off and slowly start scaling out. For me, I thought I found out that's very beneficial because when you're in a position and you start seeing your PNL fluctuate 10 K up, 10 K down, you're up 40 K. Now you're up 35 K. Now you're up 52 K and you haven't, made any money relatively because you haven't realized any profits. It's like, wait, let me start realizing some profits. The downside to that is, is there's days I've sold a position where I've maybe made 40K and I kid you not, five more minutes, I would have made 120, 140, like five minutes. Yep. So psychologically, you're like, oh man, like if I held it, but then that's where I think the reframing for traders kicks in. Like you need to sit, go back to that moment and say, I was not willing to risk my profit of the day or on the trade to make more money. So I cannot be upset because now if the trade that I was up 40 grand in went to 30K, I would have still been upset. So now yeah. I'm just creating a scenario after the fact that will not help me become a better trader and get to where I'm trying to get to. I need to be okay with what I decide in the moment and move on and see how I can get better. That is it. I cannot control what happens happens next. It's like play, playing a lottery, right? You can sit here and say, well, I wish I guessed 9, 7, 8, 15, 5. Right, right, after right, you right. saw the numbers. But before you would have never predicted. 100%. So, I mean, if we can take a 30,000 foot view, I know we, were, we just got very granular with trading, but if we can take a 30,000 foot view, how do you see trading? Because you just made the analogy to a lottery ticket and the unexpected nature of trading. How do you see trading probabilities, um, strategy? Like what's the game? Uh, yeah, to yeah. So I think trading is a probability game, right? There's no hundred percent certainty in trading, right? Uh, it comes down to all probability, but now there will be some trades that have a higher probability, some trades that have a lower probability. In simple terms, your job is to identify trades that have a higher probability, go into that trade with the expectation of losing. So you protect your downside, make sure that that trade has room for the upside where you can make two to three times your trade amount and you keep repeating that process. With lottery, let's just say you go to gambling, typically it's a one-to-one, -one, right? Like if you risk a hundred, you'll make a hundred or you lose a hundred, right? In most situations, depending on what you're betting on and things like that, right? So with trading, if you can manage that well, most of the time, if your management of your trade is done properly, you're risking a hundred to maybe make $250 or 300 now, if you can do that repeatedly and still be able to take losses in the grand spectrum of things, you will walk out profitable. So it's a risk and reward game and it's a game of probabilities. Yeah, that's the way I would look at it and okay. not anything beyond that. So what about strategy? Is there one set strategy? Because obviously we're, this is a I want to say it's a Forex channel. There's a lot of different types of people that listen to this, but a lot of people that listen to this are traders trade Forex. Is there a yeah. difference between Forex and stock trading just in terms of strategy, uh, in terms of, you know, in, in Forex, for example, you can have thousands of strategies that are profitable. It's the application of the strategy that differs. Is it the same in stocks, for example? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's execution, right? I can give you let's say, let's call it a perfect strategy, right? A perfect strategy doesn't exist. I can give it to you and I can share it with a million people. But out of those million people, how many of them can actually execute that? How many of them can read when that strategy presents itself? How many, of, how many people can read 
when the strategy, like the trade idea starts slowing down. So if you're going to a trade expecting to make 200, maybe you make 100 and this trade is slowing down. Price action is not as aggressive anymore. How many people can recognize that in real time? How many, can, how many people can execute that in real time? Right. So I think it comes down to execution for any financial markets, right? Or anything in life, it comes down to execution. You can give me the best idea in the world right now. If I can't execute it, that idea doesn't mean anything. Right. So execution plays a big role. Uh, I think if you can execute at a high level, like I like it's it's a funny, funny thing. The other day I was talking to someone and he's like, Yeah, I've been trading options and options hasn't been working for me. So I think I'm gonna go trade Forex and I asked him, like, what's your problem? So my problem is every time I get into a trade, the trade goes against me. I don't cut my losses. When I'm in a trade, I make money. I don't take my profits. I was like, okay, so you're going to do the same thing in Forex. What's going to be different? Like it's you, not the market. He's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So the execution part there makes a, makes a big thing, makes a big difference too. Uh, but in terms of strategy wise, I think uh, you like, see for me, I don't have a million different strategies. I have maybe like five, six different things I look for in the market. Some days the market presents it. Some days the market doesn't present it. When the market is able to present it, I can nail it and really, 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 you know, generate a good amount of money from it. When the market doesn't present it, I'm disciplined enough to sit on my hands and say, well, nothing today. Right. So out of, from a stock trader's point of view, there's like 20 trading days a month, right? So you do five days a week, four weeks out of the month. Uh, you're looking at 20 trading days. Out of those 20 trading days, there's typically three to five high quality days. If I can nail those three to five high quality days, I will make 70 to 80% of my monthly income from that, from trading. The other days, my job is not to necessarily always make money, but it's to stay alive. It's to make sure I don't burn capital and I don't destroy my mental edge. Because now if I have a day where I lose 5K or 10K, it's not that I just destroyed 5, 10 grand. It's also I destroyed my mental capacity, my discipline. And now the next day I'm more hesitant because I took a stupid trade. For sure. It's kind of like yeah. your, your relationship with yourself as a trader. It's like yeah. if you're doing stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing, it's hard to have the same confidence when you step back into the markets. So I want to no, ask absolutely. you about two different things. So one, I want to get your, uh, I want to get your take on, like kind of this is kind of like a fire round. So it's kind of boom, boom, boom. Go and ahead, I want to ask ahead. you about starting a SaaS company and some of the trials and tribulations that you've gone through there. And then we can right. wrap it up. Cool. I'm down. Let's go. All right. So social media and trading. Where do you feel like social media plays a role? Is it helping traders? Is it hurting traders? Ah. Uh... I think it's hurting traders, all right? I, I, I think it's hurting traders because social media, so, so a few things, right? Number one, a lot of things on social media are fake, right? Everything on social media is fake and, and I put myself in that category and I'll tell you why. And I want everyone to start thinking like that. Everything you see on social media is fake in every industry. Now, there's maybe one or 2% things that are real, okay? Now, the real, you need to be able to identify what's real. For in trading, right? Just to give you uh, an idea, like I said earlier in the beginning of the podcast, go to traders that are showing you a live log into their account, a video, not a picture, not no Photoshop crap, a video of a broker, right? I, I know with Forex, there's a lot of uh, things of some brokers not being regulated. A lot of people like, I don't know, I've heard things about it, but in stocks and options, like, no, like if you're in TD Ameritrade, you're on Weibo, like you're not faking anything there, right? So you see someone like, for example, last year I posted my login showing 5.5 million, right? I have an, a proof of like, hey, I did X amount on one account, total did seven and a half million from day trading alone. Now, if I come to you and I tell you something, there's substance behind it. 
there's difference of me coming and tell you some, telling you something about trading than the next guy or the next person that has read a trading book and taking the trading book, they're just kind of recircling. Yes, yeah. yes. That's, that's, there's a big difference of that, right? That is actually a big, big problem for traders, right? And that problem for traders is, is going to start having a big, big issue. You know what I mean? And that big issue is going to cause so many problems in the long run for traders because now they see someone making 20,000 or 30,000 doing things the wrong way and sharing the wrong information that's causing problems. You know what I mean? So that's where it, it essentially becomes a problem. Like even for me, sometimes when I look at trading and I, I go through a slump and I see some traders do really, really well, I'm like, oh man, like it plays a role. Like I'm like, oh man, how is he or she doing so well? And same thing on a higher scale. Right. So it, it's like you need to differentiate between who's providing real quality information and who's actually, you know, sharing it through real experience. Right. So you can actually replicate that. And then also, I think if you are a trader starting out and like one thing I see a lot of traders do, they'll trade for two months, three months, and they go on social media trying to show their progress, show your progress, but don't show dollar value because mm -hmm. dollar value will mess up your ego. Cause now if you go and you show, you made $200, it's like, wow, I only made $200. Like I hear traders like I only made 200. I can't know you you just started out. Stop focusing on the money, focusing on the process. So too many people want to showcase like, oh, I made X amount. Like, no, focus on the process and social media starts impacting that. For sure. You'll never win. You'll never win the dollar game. I'm going to tell you guys this, even for me, I'll get on there. I'll can post a $7,000 profit in one day. Somebody somewhere made a hundred thousand dollars. All right. So there's, it's not really a, a competition. As long as you're staying focused and you're making progress in your own trading and you're competing against your own progress. I think that's the biggest key that traders need to keep in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. hundred percent agree. Two, two more uh, fire round questions. One, prop firms. Okay. Well, what about prop firms? The current state. The cat's already out of the bag. So everybody, like, look, this is the, the statistical probability of you passing each phase of a challenge is incrementally smaller and smaller. And so the yes. amount of people that actually make it to the end stage and that actually get a pay very limited, very small, uh, but everybody still goes just for the chance of it because they saw somebody do it. Um, Listen, I kind of wanted your take on like stock firms versus say Forex firms and things like that. So if you go, if you try to go through a stock firm, you'll see the, the process is a lot different and the process is a lot different in the real because it's, it's regulated. Forex firms, it's not because it's not regulated and a lot of the money you're trading and the process is more to make money on the front end, which are the test, right? And, and, and once again, I'm not labeling anyone, but if anyone wants to say that I'm labeling them, I'd be very, op I'd be very open to looking through it and making an assumption and a bet and having you open your books and having someone show that. And I'm pretty sure no one would, be able, no one would do that, but that's not my place. My thing is just, if you are taking tests, even in stocks for anything, make sure they're regulated and make sure that the, the market is not rigged against you because the Forex market or overall market with the test have been able to replicate it the same way casinos in, are in Vegas, right? Like your chance of hitting the jackpot is 0.1%, but the amount of money that goes into it exceeds the amount that they pay out. For sure. I so, mean, what's crazy is everyone walks into the casino knowing they're about to lose and they still walk in. And that's the, that's the beauty of it is that it's still choice at the end of the day. So folks can still choose. Like I got funded in 2020 and even though it wasn't real capital and eventually that company went under uh, because they were advertising it as a genuine yeah. firm and it turns out it wasn't. It was a simulated account firm 
as long as the money was getting paid out, it didn't really matter to the end user. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as long I, as there's money, yeah, as long as you're getting money paid out, the, the criteria that's set up is right and it makes sense. That's great. Now in trading, like essentially I want to create my own prop firm and like that's the path that I'm going on in, in the near future. It's a lot different, right? There's no real test. There's a very different process where I only make money if you make money. So to take a test to practice, like it just, I have such a hard time grasping that idea. And when I think about it, it just doesn't sound like, you know what I mean? Like the way it makes sense is like you give someone a small account and as they grow and as they show their responsibility and their capacity to handle the money, you increase the amount that they can manage. And I think that that's a responsible model um, versus yeah. like, here's an arbitrary demo test. And if you pass this 30 day test, which you can pass by one or two over leveraged trades, then that makes you qualified to handle six figures wait so hold on so these tests i'm just i'm curious about something right they're because i've seen some of the test setups so typically you have to hit that target and that those targets are really absurd most of the time no it's a 10 percent target but it's the risk parameters that makes it hard for traders because you can't violate a 10 percent maximum risk on the account yeah that's so in, see, that's in one thing. sense it actually forces traders to be more disciplined but in the other sense, 99% of traders don't have that. Uh, okay. Makes sense. Listen, like I said, there, I'm, 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 I know there's real good companies out there and I'm not saying everyone, but there are also companies that you, like you mentioned, have went under. And I know some of them that did go under. And, uh, I just want people that are going and spending money on anything, just kind of do your research. Same thing with stocks, same thing on anything you buy. It doesn't just relate to Forex or stocks, anything you spend money on, even if it's a dollar, a hundred dollars, 200, just, just do your research for a moment before you spend your money. Perfect. Great way to wrap up that discussion. Omar, yeah, I, just, sorry, I, put you, I put you in the middle of that cross. No, no, you're good. It's just you because I know some people that do it and, and they're doing a great job at it. So it's like when you talk about some things, it's very easy for like people to start categories. Well, is he talking about him? Is he talking about her? And I'm like, I'm not really talking about anyone in particular. I'm talking about in general, which is why I said, I, I know there's people that do it and to do a great job at it. I don't want to like, for it's sure, just no. how people take things out of context, you know? Dude, it's nothing controversial to say that people should do some research before they buy something. I think exactly. that's very fair. Talk to me about starting a SaaS company. Ah, oh, man. Steps from being a just a measly stock trader to uh, a SaaS company. So uh, it's, it's crazy. So the, the idea started in 2019 for TradeZilla. Uh, it started because I looked first to journal. Like I've been big on journaling my trades. I've used other softwares out there. There's a few other softwares out there. And all of them lacked a lot of things to help trader development, right? And what I, what I mean by lack is there was one that the UI sucked, another one where they weren't focused on helping traders. It was more focused on just throwing, throwing raw data at you. Uh, a lot of insights and reporting wasn't valuable. Uh, so I was like, you know what? It'd be cool if I made my own journaling platform. And essentially when I wanted to make it, it was just for me. And I was starting my uh, Usher Capital firm in 2020. And I was like, I'm just going to use it for my firm. And obviously that went under because of, you know, California and uh, COVID with the shutdown and blah, blah, blah. So I just didn't really maximize on that. But I was like, that's what I'm essentially going to create it for. So I started the project in uh, early 2020. And I know nothing about development. I know nothing about tech, like zero, like nothing. So what I did is uh, I made kind of a very irrational move. I went with the development agency. 
And I hired them without really doing my due diligence, essentially. So I hired a team just because, you know, they, they sounded like they knew what they were doing instead of me doing my research. I was also very busy at the time. Uh, this was January, February of 2020. I moved to Miami. I also had my first million dollar trading month. So when you start making like an absurd amount of money, you're like, oh, it's not worth my time to deal with that. That's right. how I looked at it. So I went, started with the team. Uh, they started working on the initial product and we were supposed to launch in September of 2020, which was terrible estimates. There's no way we were going to get to a launch of, you know, that time for it. Printing. Now, as we get to September of 2020 uh, and get closer and closer, uh, the product is not done. We're not close to where we had expected. Then we push it to October. Then we go to November. As we go to November, I start noticing that there's a lot of things in the product that don't work. Like they'll work one day, then we'll work the next day. So I go, you know, one concept I always follow is to get second and third opinions. So even if I go to a doctor and the doctor tells me something, I'm going to go to two, three other doctors because someone's opinion is only amounts to their level of ex expertise and knowledge. So if I go in and I take the same scenario to two, three other people, they might help me solve it a lot better. Mm. So I was like, well, I don't know why I haven't done this. Oh, I know why I haven't done this. I've been so busy with X, Y, and Z. I was like, I'm just going to throw money at it. And it's going to like magically be a successful company. And obviously that wasn't the case. So I went to other companies and I started getting feedback. I was like, here's the code. What do you think about it? They're like, this is not written good. It's not scalable. It's not like in terms of uh, development, it's not refactored. There's no test done. There's no scalability behind They're like, and, and I went to like six, seven different firms. I even paid some of them to get, you know, consultation and feedback. And all of them were kind of in the same line of feedback. And I was like, wait, it's different if one firm tells you that because maybe they want your business. Another one tells you, but now all seven or eight that are, so I go back to, you know, the initial team, I bring this up and they start making excuses like, oh, well, we're not going to run the test until the product is launched. I was like, why would I launch the product without doing tests to make sure it's scalable and everything's fluid? And then a lot of tests, a lot of the code was not written in a way where I can automatically scale that at an at a easy, doable way, right? So I was like, okay, we're done. So we separate from them. I get all the files. I get all the databases and everything from them. This was in December of 2020. And uh, I already spent quite a good amount of money with them already. And now I'm like, hey, do I go and like fight it and try to get my money back? And then when I spoke to some people that said, going into a lawsuit way, you're just not going to win. So I said, it's okay. I'm just going to close the shop and move on. So then I move on. I go in and look for other firms. And then I spent three months probably interviewing a hundred different agencies, tons of different people. And I was very skeptical on hiring a person to post an agency because if it's a person, there's no real accountability where it's, if it's a developed agency or company, there's accountabilities. And because I don't have any experience, I'd rather go with the agency. For sure. So then I hired another agency um, in April and I probably spent 60 grand with them in a span of like seven weeks. And by the way, 60 grand is very, very low. It's not like- Did you end up starting from scratch or were you just fixing no, no, no. the original code? We were fixing the original code. So when oh, I spent man. money with them, yeah, when I spent 60 grand with them about for like seven weeks, they were pretty expensive. Like good firms are, are expensive. They're not cheap, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing nothing moved the needle. I didn't like the way they worked. I didn't like the way they communicated. Uh, like by far, they were worse than the first company, but they were more expensive because they were more expensive and because their recent projects, like, like the co-founder worked with- uh, I forgot what the company the company's name was. Uh, damn, I can't remember it. But he worked with a very big company prior. So that made me comfortable in working with them, but they did not move the needle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to follow my intuition. I don't want to work with them. I cut it off. And I was like, we're done. We're not working anymore. I don't like the way you guys worked. I don't like the way the sprint planning was done. 
And then finally I came across the last company that, you know, we, we found, and this company has uh, built a prior business that's valued at 3 billion, oh, wow. right? They, they, they worked on a software that's worth 3 billion. I went through them, blah, 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 blah. We checked out how much they charge. And this was in 2021. So what they initially quoted us in terms of hourly price was great. And then when we went to start the work, the software industry in terms of developers took a big hit, meaning there was not enough supply out there for people to hire good developers. Right. So they were like, hey, listen, you know, it's getting competitive. We need to up our price. And that, that number went up drastically. So I was like, you know, I'm at a tough spot where do I go with them or do I go back to square one to save a couple of grand a month? So I said, you know what? I'm going to start with them. So we started with them in 2020, 2021 for four months, five months. They basically uh, refactored the code. They helped stabilize the system. And then okay. in uh, December, we started re-adding re features, re-adding things in the platform. We did a private launch in February of this year. And up until now, we have been by invite only, right? Uh, and we plan to stay invite only probably for another two months. And the reason that we stayed invite only is because I wanted the people that joined, I wanted to kind of be involved with the majority of them to see ways we can improve the product mm -hmm. and ways we can add certain features to help elevate the product, right? And that's all we've been doing from February till now since we've launched. Uh, it's hard for me to share the numbers of what valuation and our ARR and all those things right now, uh, for, for like privacy reasons, I'll share them one day, but just not right now. Right. But, uh, we, we, at this point, yeah, at this point we we're fully self-funded, right? Like the product is paying for itself. Uh, we have three engineers on the team. We're adding a fourth one. Uh, we have a product manager, a designer, uh, a few other people, part of the team that are helping us kind of, you know, scale this product. And uh, in terms of me, I've not made a dollar from the product. Like, you know, people might be, oh, well, he's, I've not made money. I'm in the red, right? Essentially. But the main idea here is just to create a platform that helps and powers traders to become profitable, simple. Like that was my only goal for this year. It wasn't to be like, well, I want to have X amount of customers, Mm -hmm. Or I want to have, you know, X amount of this. Or I want to make X amount of money. Like that is what not. Do hope, what do you hope TradeZilla does for traders? So essentially I want the end goal for TradeZilla. And it's, we, we have a very extensive roadmap, right? Right. So things we're developing, like they're very, very extensive. Like it doesn't exist in the market. What we're looking to do, like, for example, just give you an idea of one feature where you can go select 10 trades and say, if I held these 10 trades for five more minutes, what would my outcome look like? Right. Just something as small as that. Right. Uh, so the, the outcome that I'm essentially looking for TradeZilla is any customer, any member that joins TradeZilla is able to plug in their data, understand how to properly journal. Cause we don't just give you data. We're focusing on building habits for you to trade the right way, building insights for you to trade the way and showing you how to use each report. So once you upload your data, we show you ways to upload it the right way. Cause the first step in any sort of journaling is collection of data. You can't just upload trades into any journaling platform and expect to get results or exact to, expect to see feedback. So for example, if I trade Forex and stocks and I have different position sizing and I trade different markets, my collection of data is already bad. So it starts off with the way you collect data, the way you take trades. So that's the first step. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of traders don't don't know that. They don't know like it starts with that. So they'll upload data points into a into a software and be like, well, what do I get from this? What we're trying to do is wait, wait, here's the first step. This is what you have to do with raw data. This is what you need to look at. This is how you improve. Oh, you're having this problem. Okay, if you're having this problem, this is what to do. Oh, you're missing out on profits. This is how you tell if you're missing out on profits. And these are ways to combat it. These are some exercises, right? So it's essentially like a trading coach that comes in. And that's like the idea with TradeZilla kicked in. Zella is like your Siri or Alexa, like Amazon has, that gives you feedback, that helps you, that tells you what you need to improve on. And uh, we just want to basically dominate the market in terms of helping traders evolve, like Forex, crypto, stocks, options, futures. Like we want to get into that space. And the thing about us compared to competitors is we've been out from from uh, February, which is like seven, eight months. And our backlog and our product list is already more evolved, if not at the same level of companies that have been out for eight years, nine years. There's a company just competitor in terms out. Of the, like the partnerships that you've been able to build and the amount not of even, just, made just features, just features, oh, just, just features. what we have. Like we've oh, wow. been able to have more in nine months than some of our competitors have since they launched right right right. like i know three or four hour top competitors like one's been out from 2012 one from 2015 one from 2016 and we are at the same if not more than more most of them in a short period of time so i'm like you give us one more year until next summer because now we built the foundation we added a new developer we have a strong development team now we will kind of surpass everything i've only seen a snippet of the ui but it looks Absolutely incredible. So I have no doubt that you'll take over that industry. I appreciate it. Amazing things. Uh, Umar, where can people find you? Uh, you go on my Instagram or my Twitter, which is my first name, last name, Umar Ashraf on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, that's the main two areas, I guess. Yeah. Easy. We'll go ahead and link those below. Umar, thanks a lot for stopping by. We, I know we kind of covered a lot of topics. I want to make sure that we get you in for a part two because we covered markets, we covered trading, we covered your businesses. Maybe we can get deeper on trader psychology and some of the analytics. Oh, yeah. Finding down, yeah. Because I think that I that's think, the interesting piece. I think that'd be dope. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do it. All right. Thanks for stopping by, Omar. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me.